Welcome to the One Climbs Podcast, a show about exploring life through the lens of theology, scripture, symbolism, and ideas that uplift the human mind. I grew up on the Gulf Coast of Southern Texas in the 80s and 90s, and there were not a lot of members of my faith. I was one of three in my high school during my senior years. I was the only member in my graduating class of 668. There were about 3,000 people in the school. So unsurprisingly, it was very normal for me to grow up with people around me that were of other faiths whether they be friends or even uh, many of my family who are not members of my particular faith tradition. And so I, I learned a lot about talking with people about their religions and their religious beliefs. And most people had no idea what I was or <laughs> what I believed. They never even heard of my church before. And so it, it made it hard to talk with other people a little bit about my beliefs. Uh, there were many times where I didn't even discuss what religion I was, even when I was asked. And I kind of regret that nowadays because I think it could have made for some interesting conversations, but I didn't really have the confidence to talk about my theology, whereas other people seem to know quite a bit about their beliefs and and it, at some level, I, I felt like I understood my theology, at least the basics, but I didn't know if I could necessarily defend it. It just seemed like this huge world that was very complex and people differed on so many different religious ideas that I just didn't want to enter those discussions. I didn't feel comfortable doing that. But as time passed... I went off to serve a mission in Idaho, and that was the first time I found myself around a seemingly vast number of members of the church. It was a bit of a culture shock to me to experience that many people who believe the same way as me all around me. That doesn't mean everybody in Idaho was a member of my faith, but compared to where I came from, it was a significant difference. And so then now I have the opportunity to go out and teach people about my theology and do it with a little bit of a, a degree of, of confidence that would grow over time. But I, I became very interested in discussing religious ideas with people and sitting down and having peaceful conversations, not conversations where we're beating ourselves, uh, you know, over the heads with our own ideologies, but really talking to people and trying to see if we could come to understanding. Now, obviously there were a lot of times people would want to Bible bash or, or, uh, get into an argument. And it was, it was really never productive. And it's so easy to fall into that as soon as you're at your first point of disagreement. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've thought about this quite a bit over the years and, and I've been involved in many uh, types of interfaith gatherings and events and programs, uh, back in Corpus Christi and Las Vegas. And, and now here where I, I currently live in central Texas. 
And those were always very positive experiences where we're coming together, sharing our beliefs, learning from one another. And I think there's a lot of good that can be done there. Now, one of the one of the parts of scripture that I wanted to go over today is I think one of my favorite portions of scripture that that serves as a guide to me uh, concerning interfaith efforts. And I know that sometimes when we look in the scriptures, we can see people boldly testifying, being you know thrown to the lion's den or thrown into the fiery furnace or held captive and suffering all of these things for their beliefs and just being very bold. And uh, we see the apostles going into whole cities and dusting their feet off <laughs> when, when they're rejected and, and all these things are like, okay, well, what, what's my role? What should I do today? Um, what is, what, what am I supposed to do when it comes to people who don't believe the same way that I do? Uh, you know, what, how should I approach this? And so certainly I think that each and every one of us has the ability to reach out to God and to, and to ask him for guidance and direction on what we can do. But the scriptures, they already give us some pretty great tools that we can use. And I'm in the book of Mormon in Alma chapter 29. And this impacted me quite a bit when I was a missionary because as a missionary, I, I felt this overwhelming desire to share what I had and, and to share it as much as possible and to help as many people as possible. And I think when you're younger too, uh, you have so much passion and zeal. It, it gets, it, it kind of in your mind just becomes this big thing. You just want to get out there and do great things. You, you're not totally aware of what obstacles are in your path and everything seems possible and so you, you have this, you have this desire to just kind of explode and, and share things. And so when you look at the beginning of Alma 29, Alma says the same type of thing. He says, Oh, that I were an angel. He's regretting just being a mortal man. He says, Oh, that I were an angel and could have the wish of mine heart. So this is his wish that I might go forth and speak with the trump of God with a voice to shake the earth and remember how the earth shook beneath him when the angel came to call him to repentance. He's, I think he's kind of thinking the same thing here. If, if I could be like that angel, the angel that changed my heart, if I could go out there and change everybody as I was changed with that same power and cry repentance unto every people. And you're like, okay, this is starting off good. He's, he seems like he just has this powerful desire and it's a righteous desire. And he says, yeah, I would declare unto every soul as with a voice of thunder, repentance in the plan of redemption, that they should repent and come unto our God, that there might not be more sorrow upon all the face of the earth. So again, this seems like a good thing, right? He doesn't want there to be any sorrow on the face of the earth. I don't think any of us do. No, nobody likes the idea that there's sorrow. And if you could eliminate the sorrow on the earth with a snap of your finger, would you do it? I think most of us without even thinking would say yes. But here's what he says in verse three, but behold, I am a man. He's not an angel. And I do sin in my wish. 
And this confused me for a long time. You know, I kind of wondered why would, why would that be a sin to have this wish and this desire to go out and, and to do all this? But Alma explains himself here. And it took me a while to wrap my mind around this. And, and I'm sure I, I'm not saying I've mastered this by any stretch, but let's look at what he says. I ought to be content with the things which the Lord hath allotted unto me. Okay. That's understandable, right? You, you don't, you don't have possession of, let's say the trump of God. You don't have a voice that can shake the earth and a voice of thunder and the ability to wipe out sorrow from the entire face of the earth. You don't have that. And we should be content with the things that the Lord has allotted unto us. And he says, I not, I ought not to harrow up in my desires, the firm decree of a just God. For I know that he granteth unto men according to their desire, whether it be unto death or life. I know that he allotteth unto men, yea, decreeth unto them decrees which are unalterable according to their wills, whether they be unto salvation and or unto destruction. Yea, and I know that good and evil have come before all men, and he that knoweth not good from evil is blameless. But he that knoweth good and evil, to him it is given according to his desires, whether he desireth good or evil, life or death, joy or remorse of conscience. Now, seeing that I know these things, why should I desire more than to perform the work which I have been called? Why should I desire that I were an angel that I could speak into all the ends of the earth? So now that we have that kind of established, here's how I would kind of summarize it. What he's saying is the reason he sins in his wish is because he's looking out into the world and he sees things that are wrong. He sees sin and wickedness and all of these things. And he wishes he could speak with this loud voice and instantaneously, instantaneously just change everything. But then he starts to think about it. Okay, that, that wish is a sin because what I'm saying is that God who's created this world, who are all part of this plan, that he's doing it wrong and I can do better than him. That the way things are right now are flawed and broken and God isn't doing it right. So let me come in with the trump of God and I will fix everything. I will make it the way it should be. I wish I could do that. I wish I could just fix everything. And and, and reflecting on this, he's going, hold on, this is, this is a sin here. Because God, he gives unto everybody their desires, whether it's life or death, whether it's to their salvation or destruction, he allows people to choose. And good and evil is before all of us. And if you don't know good from evil, you're blameless. And so those that, that don't know good from evil they they're under God's grace. But to those that do know good and evil, again, it's given their desires are, are given to them. And so he's starting to think about this and realizing it and saying, okay, well, God has given me a, a job to do. And I shouldn't desire to do any more than what God is requiring of me, what he's asked me to do. Because in the grand scheme of things, he sees everything that I don't. So I should be happy with what I have been given and and honor God with what I have been given and not sit here dreaming about how I can go above and beyond and do more and take command of God's plan and enforce my will 
upon the world. And I think that's an important thing to understand here because it means that you have to accept the world the way it is at the moment in terms of the the big grand scheme. Now, can we change the world? Can we go out there and can we do things? Yes, we can, you know, within our sphere of influence, according to whatever power that we have. I mean, Alma and the sons of Mosiah, they, they looked at the situation that was existing between the Nephites and Lamanites. And they just said, you know what? We just want to save some soul. Let's go out there and risk our lives just trying to preach to these people. And they did. And they had success. And it changed the lives of thousands and thousands of people. It was a miracle. But did they change the entire world? They didn't. They had an influence on um, an impressively vast amount of people, far more than I think they would have ever expected. And they say as much themselves when they're, they're talking about it and saying, can you believe that this happened? It blew them away. But I think the key here is verse eight. So we're getting into this concept of the fact that we, we need to find out how to exist among people that believe differently than us. So this is what he says in verse eight. This is really important. And, and I love this verse. I think it's one of the most important verses in the book of Mormon, to be honest, but it says, for behold, the Lord doth grant unto all nations of their own nation and tongue. So that's all nations of their own nation and tongue to teach his word. So the Lord grants unto all nations to teach his word, all of them. Yea, in wisdom, all that he seeth fit that they should have. Therefore, we see that the Lord doth counsel in wisdom according to that which is just and true. I think that's such an important verse because it shows to us that that God is aware of all nations, that his hand is upon all nations, and he grants unto them of their own nation and tongue, their, their own beliefs, their own language, the ability to teach his word all throughout time and history, all that he seeth fit that they should have. And I would say that includes us because we as, as members of the church of Jesus Christ, we don't have everything. There are portions of the book of Mormon that have been held back. We're promised other records. There's other things that are restricted from us on account of our faith or, or even lack thereof that we are being proven to see if we are able to accept more. And if we don't have it yet, we're not ready for it yet. So we're among that group of, of we're with the world in the fact that we've all been given all that God sees fit that we should have, every one of us. And so I think we're all in the same boat in terms of the limitation of the possible knowledge that we can have. But there's a, a purpose, I think, in how God has worked with us and all different religions. And this verse in Alma 29 that we just read reminds me of another verse from the Quran. And let me read this to you. It says, we believe in what was revealed to us, meaning the Muslims, and what was revealed to you. And, and it's talking about the, the people of the book or the the jews and the christians but it says our god and your god are one and the same we have assigned a law and a path to each of you 
Muslims, Jews, and Christians. If God had so willed, he would have made you one community, but he wanted to test you through that which he has given to you. You know, all that he seeth fit that you should have, right? So race to do good. You will all return to God and he will make clear to you the matters you differed about. And this is actually two verses here, but they remind me so much of what we just read in the Book of Mormon. And here's another quote right here. We have from Joseph Smith. This is from the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 218. He says, but while one portion of the human race is judging and condemning the other without mercy, the great parent of the universe looks upon the whole of the human family with a fatherly care and parental regard. He views them as his offspring. And without any of those contracted feelings that influence the children of men, he causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust, which I think is just a wonderful statement because he's talking about the difference between himself, God as a parent and us. Sometimes we can express favoritism or be angrier at one child than we are at another, but the Lord blesses all of his children the same. He has this, this very loving parental regard for all of us and this perfect view uh, of his children from where he stands. He says he holds the reins of judgment in his hands. He is a wise lawgiver and will judge all men, not according to the narrow contracted notions of men, but according to the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or evil or whether these deeds were done in England, America, Spain, Turkey, or India, he will judge them not according to what they have not, but according to what they have. Those who have lived without law will be judged without law, and those who have a law will be judged by that law. We need not doubt the wisdom and intelligence of the great Jehovah. He will award judgment or mercy to all nations according to their several deserts, their meanings of obtaining intelligence, the laws by which they are governed, the facilities afforded to them of obtaining correct information, and his inscrutable designs in relation to the human family. And when the designs of God shall be made manifest and the curtain of futurity be withdrawn, we shall all of us eventually have to confess that the judge of all the earth has done right. And so I find that verse from the Quran almost a blend of Alma 29.8 and this quote from Joseph Smith. This whole idea that there's wisdom in the way that God has organized things. If he wanted everyone to all be on the same page and be one people, he would have he would have willed it that way, but he didn't. There's a reason why things are the way they are, and we will see the wisdom one day. But it might not, you know, it, it it's might not, it's probably not going to be in this life. But if we know that God is looking over all of us and there's a reason we have what we have and we've all been given gifts and blessings and teachings from God and his wisdom, what should we then do about it? We should do good to one another. This is in the lectures on faith. This is lecture 317. God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he that fears God and works righteousness is accepted of him. And uh, I really like that quote as well. Uh, I, I actually have a couple other quotes I just kind of want to read because they're real good. And 
I'm trying to put all of my favorite quotes on the subject in one place. And, and there's tons more, I'd imagine. But these are just the ones that I want to go with for now. So there's another quote here uh, from Wilford Woodruff. He says, when you go into a neighborhood to preach the gospel, never attempt to tear down a man's house, so to speak, before you build him a better one. Never, in fact, attack anyone's religion wherever you go. Be willing to let every man enjoy his own religion. It is his right to do that. If he does not accept your testimony with regard to the gospel of Christ, that is his affair and not yours. Do not spend your time in pulling down other sects and parties. We haven't the time to do that. It is never right to do that. So here is another quote, and this is from the documentary History of the Church. If I, meant, if I esteem mankind to be an error, shall I bear them down? No, I will lift them up, and in their own way too, if I cannot persuade them that my way is better. And I will not seek to compel any man to believe as I do, only by the force of reasoning, for truth will cut its own way. And that's so important to understand here. Lift them up and in their own way too. Lift them up in their own way. There's a really, really cool story that I remember somebody telling years ago. It was um, talking about a LDS scouting troop. And there, there was a, a Jewish boy who was wanting to belong to the troop. But his grandfather was a little bit skeptical about the, the whole patriotism aspect and the fact that youth are wearing these brown shirts because of what had happened in Nazi Germany with the Hitler youth and the brown shirts that they wore. And, and we see something similar over here. And he was concerned that they would try to convert this boy over to their the LDS faith. But the leaders were very good. Uh, even though he belonged to a troop that was mostly LDS kids, they they helped this young man earn his uh, his his religious award, almost like the the duty to God award that's in the LDS faith. They helped him earn his, I, I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. They helped him earn that award and they lifted him in his own way. And he was a participant in the scout troop and he was made to feel welcome there. And nobody tried to, to you know, convert this young man, but it, it ended up being a very great experience for everyone involved. And I think that's, that's what some of these quotes are talking about, lifting each other, lifting other people, and in their own way. You, we can persuade, we can reason, but we allow truth to cut its own way. God is, is the one who does the conversion if that conversion is what he desires. But God's ways, we don't know all of God's ways. We, we do preach the gospel, we share the gospel, but we don't do it with force or compulsion. And we allow other people to, to have their religious beliefs. We do not tear down another man's house. We allow, we let every man enjoy the, his own religion. It's his right to do that. Okay, final quote here. And this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'm going to jump around a little bit, but listen to what he says here. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring unto you, the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, 
but with which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So I think, too, it's very common. There's, there's people all over the internet speaking the wisdom of men and trying to convince each other and, and quote, owning people and, quote, destroying people and all of these different things. And everyone's trying to top each other and convince each other with, with their own wisdom. And there are some really great arguments that are made. There are very poor arguments that are easily, you know, quote, unquote, destroyed by better arguments. But this seems like a whole bunch of tearing down a man's house. And I've certainly seen it done right, where two people can have a respectful discussion and talk about something that's controversial, but do it in a way of mutual respect, where there's still love for the other person and respect for the other person. There can be disagreement on a point, but it's important to have the opportunity to really listen and hear other people out back and forth. And we may find some, uh, some deeper reasons why we believe what we believe or that solidifies in our stance. Or we may find that some things are, are very are very complex to a degree. They're not as simple as they might seem. And, and perhaps there's greater wisdom that has not yet been bestowed on the human race about that particular subject. And, and we need to take some of those things into consideration. But the one thing that we can always do is we can always be respectful. We can agree to disagree. I know that phrase is thrown around a lot. But we can disagree in a way that that is respectful of other people's beliefs and still be friends with people, even though we don't all 100% agree. Look, here's the thing. I don't 100% agree with all the people that I go to church with. And I, I don't think anybody does. There's you, you look at even an LDS ward. You know, you could go in there and even as missionaries, you're like, oh, look at missionaries. They're, they're all like robots. They're all come out of the same machine. Missionaries are very, very different people. Yes, they dress similarly. There's, there's kind of a uniform there. That would be like saying every member of the military, they're all just exactly the same. They all think the same. They're all cut from the same mold, things like that. I mean, there, there were so many different people. You know, I was this kid from Corpus Christi, Texas. There was another, uh, there was another young man in my mission who was studying to become a priest in the Catholic church who left, uh, who left that ministry and came to be a, a missionary in the LDS church. There were other people that were older and had just converted to the church from a, another religion. There was a, a companion from Mongolia whose, whose whole family of nine had joined the church. And uh, there was a, one elder who was from Fiji who only had one leg. <laughs> you know, and there, there were people from all over the place that had incredible stories as to how they got there and where they were from. And there were certainly people from Utah who had grown up in, in, you know, the, the Utah bubble. I've never lived in Utah before. Uh, but you know, I've been there. The people are great. My wife has family in Utah and, but uh, there's weird stories that come out of Utah, you know, about some of the, the culture and strange things there, but that, that's the same as everywhere else. There's weird things that happen all over. But um, despite all of this, every single individual you can take is, is going to disagree on something. I could stand up in church on Sunday. I've often thought about doing this as a talk <laughs> in some way, just to kind of make a point. But 
saying something in my talk that would offend absolutely everybody in there just to make the point like, look, I'm your brother, <laughs> you know, I love all of you, but I guarantee, you know, I'm going to just re- read out some opinions Did it was there anybody who did not get offended at anything. I said, I'm not going to take like a poll or anything. I guess that's just kind of like one of those, uh, one of those, uh, a spiritual fantasies of something that you'd like to do sometime. Right. But I just think it would be hilarious because, um, you know, I, I can almost guarantee I'm the only person in my ward that, that, um, eats meat sparingly that, re- that refrains from it to the degree that I do. Uh, I don't even have a grill in Texas, which is almost borderline apostate for living here, you know, uh, but several other things, right. I-, I could go up and down the list. I could say things that that would offend anyone. Cause we're all different. We all, even, even in the same faith tradition, we all put emphasis in different areas. We all have different opinions about certain things, but there's gotta be a way that, that we can work together and we do in the church. We have a common set of principles, even though we may differ on when you drill down and get into the nitty gritty, we may differ on, on very, some would even argue key things. Other people may not think they're important, but the, the overall vision we agree with the core principles, the core tenets, same thing with being an American. We all love the concept of liberty and that people should be free to to determine what they want to do with their destiny, free to believe what they want to believe, free to speak and to move about without being imposed upon uh, by the government in ways that would be unjust. We all have these common sets of beliefs. And and although we can that can get contentious just like it can in the religious realm, as long as I think we agree on some of the main principles, we can work together on some of those things. One good example of that is uh, it was last year we did an iftar dinner with some local Muslims, and it was all centered around the principle of fasting. And it was a principle that both of us valued and we, we practiced differently. We had different ways of practicing it in our lives. In some ways were very similar, but the reasons why we did it were very, very similar. And it was, it was an interesting thing to learn from one another as we gathered around that principle. It was something that we could do that we could connect with and, and build this fellowship and brothership with. And, and, and that's really a wonderful thing. And just as easily, we could have had a meeting about something that was very different and contentious. We could have had a meeting about if Jesus was the son of God or not, and we could have differed greatly there. But we met and we worked together based on principles. Now we're going to have conflicts as we go through life. We're going to rub up against uh, people in situations where a decision has to be made. Like if we got to pass a law or we have to make some type of decision on something and there are differences, I think that can be hard. But but as far as uh, interfaith dialogue and working with other religions, I think there's a long way, uh, we, could, we could go a long way if, if we're seeking to build first on those common beliefs, those common principles, and even doctrines that we all agree on, and that we can uh, that we can build build upon, because we can create a lot of peace amongst ourselves if we're focusing on the commonalities rather than the differences. And I think it's too easy to be focused on the differences. Sometimes we have to focus on them, 
in order to have a conversation in order to move ahead. But that's part of the, the whole interfaith goal is how do we live together? How do we have peace and prosperity, but still have our individual beliefs? And as members of this church, I mean, we should really understand, we should really understand this and have a desire to give people the space to exercise their beliefs, especially when you consider our own history and, and what some of the, the members went through in the early days of, of our founding. And there were certainly many things that the members did wrong. Um, the attitude that they had in some cases and, you know, bringing upon themselves some of their hardships because of their boastfulness and, and pride and the way that they look down upon other people around them. And so there's certainly a lot of criticisms you could, that you can hold up against how they conducted themselves, but we can learn from those things, I think. So in my, my current calling in church, I'm a communications director in the stake. And one of the big focuses of mine is our, our interfaith efforts. And I was really happy to get this calling because I do love working with people of other faiths. Just because to me, I'm very much impressed by people of faith in general. You know, yes, we, we don't agree. Some, some other faiths, uh, they look down upon what I believe greatly. And may not may not be publicly, but maybe privately. But I mean, that's the thing is obviously each one of us are in our own face because we believe it. And and to some degree, we disbelieve what the other faiths are teaching. Parts of it, the whole thing, one degree or another, it could be very different. But at the end of the day, here we are. What are we going to do? Are we going to work together? Are we going to live together? Or are we going to retreat to our own uh, circles and echo chambers and look upon each other as, as enemies and opposition. And I don't think that that is pleasing to God in any way. I think he would rather see us living at peace to one with one another and having patience with one another and trusting in the wisdom that he's given unto all nations and uniting together and, and bringing together what we can bring together. And that's easier said than done. But I think there's been a lot of good work done on that by people all throughout time. And it's, and it's been done very horribly by many, many others. And it's splattered all across the internet. And I, and I think it can be tempting to dive into those conversations and watch somebody destroy, quote, another person with logic and reason. But that's not going to get us to where we want to go. That's going to take us in another direction. We're not going to win the hearts and minds of people if we're positioning others as enemies because other people are not our enemies. They're our brothers and sisters. Enemy, the, the enemy is the adversary. He is the ultimate enemy. Our brothers and sisters, the offspring of God, they are not our enemies. Even if someone is attacking us, even if somebody is seeking to harm us, I still don't believe that that person is our enemy. They're still a brother or sister. And however they're seeing the world is, is a reflection of some, some kind of deception that is causing him to want to, uh, you know, harm a brother or sister. There was a really good paper that was written by a, a Catholic talking about that in particular, 
saying, talking about the church as being the hospital for the sick and, and saying that the, the people that may seem to be our enemies, they're our patients and, and they need God's healing. And we should be in the business of seeking to heal and that no person is our enemy. No human being, no child of God should be our enemy in any way. We shouldn't consider them that. So anyway, I, I think I think there's a lot of thoughts here to think about and consider. And I wish I could sum everything up into one simple statement, but I think I would rather just leave several of these thoughts out here so whoever's listening to this can take from it what they will and think about how they might want to go out into the world and and interact with people of other faiths. For me personally, and, and everybody can have their own different way of doing it, but for me personally, I find a lot of value in just asking people about their own beliefs. Like, oh, what do you do at church? And, and uh, you know, what, what do you believe in? And uh, when did you first come to realize there was a God? You know, ask people about their spiritual journey if it's appropriate and if they want to talk about it. But I found it to be really interesting to ask people about that and to, and to watch certain people, just their, the expression of their face change when they, they start to think back and you, and you can realize that they've had some interactions with God or maybe not. Some people haven't They're like, I don't know. I've, I've always felt like there's a God, but I haven't known for sure, you know, and ask them, you know, have some questions. Do you think you can know? Do you think it's possible to know? And, and just simply have a conversation with people, but not, not necessarily from the, the standpoint of, of wanting to convert them, but just lifting people where they are. And if, and if they're searching and they're looking for something and the spirit prompts you, then, then take them wherever the Lord would have you guide them because the Lord will use us and he'll use others to help us as well. But simply having a conversation with somebody. And my goal is never to be the first to testify of anything in a conversation. I, I want to have the conversation in a way that the other person testifies to me. And sometimes I'll ask them directly. Um, you know, for instance, there was a Seventh-day Adventist young man that was coming door to door selling religious books. And I was, I, I was, giving him some compliments. I'm like, Hey, I admire you going out and do this. And he told me that this is kind of like a little mini mission for them. They go out for, um, I couldn't remember if it's six months or six weeks and they go out selling these books and bringing a little bit of the gospel into people's homes. And I said, you know, that's wonderful. I said, Hey, uh, would you, would you be willing to share with me your personal witness of God? And he kind of thought for a minute. He was like, what do you mean? I was like, well, just like what God means to you. What do you feel about God? Would you be willing to share that with me? And he agreed. And and he just shared this really wonderful uh, personal conviction of God that he had. And, and the spirit of the Lord was there. And in return, I shared with him my personal uh, witness of God and thanked him for uh, the conversation and, and I, I purchased a couple of books from him, you know, and, and we had a really great exchange and there are many, many other stories I can tell 
One in particular was uh, uh, neighbors that we had who were of a Protestant faith and they brought cookies over to our house when we moved in. And I just, I really appreciated that. That was so kind to them. And so we went over and had a conversation with them and they learned that we were members of the church and they started asking questions. You know, did you serve a mission? Did your wife serve a mission? And and we had a, a great discussion for about an hour about it. And then I went back to their house again a little bit later and, and they brought up religion again and we had a discussion and I told them this and I, I had not planned to do this, but it, it just in the moment, I, I just had this feeling and this, this desire and, and this is really my general feeling and desire with all people. I said, look, you know, here, you know, you're of this faith. I'm of this faith. And typically people of these two faiths don't usually get along. There's a lot of Bible bashing and headbutting, especially down in Texas where I'm from. But I said, look, I can tell that you guys are very faithful and love your church and, um, and that God is such a central part of your house. And I said, I just, I want you to know that you can feel free to practice your religion, to talk about your religion, to be your spiritual selves around me and my family, that you don't have to feel any restriction or awkwardness because, you know, we want to support you in, in how you live. And I personally, you know, we want the freedom to live our faith as well and, and not feel like it's awkward or a weird thing. And so if it's okay with you, um, I think it would be great if we could just be ourselves around each other and lift each other and share the good that we have with one another. And it doesn't have to be some kind of competition or, or this awkward thing. And they loved that. And it was such a, it, it, it like broke down this massive wall and, you know, they would babysit our kids and we went to the temple and they would come back and go, how was the temple? And we would talk about it and we'd say, yeah, it's like, it's almost like scripture that you're immersed in that you go through. And there's the Adam and Eve story and, and we get a bigger picture of where we stand in the grand scheme of things. And it's a, it's a great thing to experience, to walk into a sacred space and to approach the gospel in, in a really unique way. And we, we would have those conversations and they would talk to us about, you know, their church and even, even some of the, the problems in the church that were going on and some of the contention and things. And, you know, we didn't say, all right, well, time for you to leave your church, you know, come join ours instead. That's, that's not what we did. Um, but we, we offered some advice and some suggestions of, of things. And if there was anything we could do to help, but you know, in going to their church with them uh, a couple times, there were, there were some really cool experiences that I had that helped me in my own ministry as an elders quorum president. And so there's things like that, that just happen over and over again. And there's such good things and we don't necessarily need to, it, it's not like a mutually exclusive, exclusive thing where, where if somebody is going to know us, they must become a member of the church and as quickly as possible, or else the Lord's work is not happening. Or we just, we, we push them hardcore. And if they reject it, we never speak to them again. And I don't think anybody believes that, but I think sometimes that can be a general feeling. Like there's this big weight, like we, we have to do all these other things. And I think if we just stop thinking about that, let the Lord do his work, look at other people as our brothers and sisters 
and reach out in love and respect and be clear about things and lift other people where they are and let the Lord do his work. Let the spirit do the work. And if the spirit prompts you to give someone a book of Mormon or, uh, you know, a conference talk or whatever, or help the person or, or intervene in, in some way, then, then prayerfully consider those things. And that may be something that, that you should do. And I've had some of those experiences in my life, but generally speaking, my main point is to build a loving respect between all the people that I know and to show my respect for what God has given them and in hopes that they will respect also what God has given me. So anyway, I could share a lot more stories about this, but I don't want this to go on for, for too long here. But I, I do think the way that we interact with people of other faiths, or, or even if they're not religious at all, is can be way more fruitful than, than, than if we make it this us against them mentality, so to speak. But instead, open our arms to other people, invite them in, respect what they have. We can differ. We can have differences of opinion, but we can respect those differences and in turn ask others to respect our differences as well. And I, I think that type of diplomacy works even within our own faiths. Like I said before, because I guarantee no matter what church you belong to, I guarantee you have very, very significant disagreements with people in your own faith, right? <laughs> they, they exist. Nobody in any faith, any group agrees 100% up one side and down the other with every single point of anything you could possibly imagine, right? It's just not a thing. And so it, it's a given that if someone is not you, there's going to be some differences in there, right? And that's okay. And I think that's what we learned from Alma 29 is that we don't need to be that angel speaking with the trump of God. We just need to focus on what's before us and be grateful for what we have and work within the bounds that God has given us and to what he's called us to do. And we don't need to go out and necessarily try to take command of God's plan and force our own will upon the, the world, but instead learn the will of God and say, thy will be done and follow his counsel and his instructions. Even if that means that the, the difference we are meant to make in this world is just a, a tiny indiscernible um, dent. It doesn't matter the size of the impact we have in this life. It just matters that we have an impact. And sometimes that tiny little impact can be bigger than we could ever imagine. And sometimes it's just a tiny impact and that's perfect. That's exactly what it needs to be. And so anyway, I, I hope there's something of value in there for anyone listening today. I hope that our, our interfaith conversations can be more fruitful and productive. And as, as we kind of learn the playing field that God has established here for us in mortality, I think we can navigate some of these things a lot better. And I think we can earn a lot of respect with other people for the way that we conduct ourselves. And we could be leaders in how we have conversations, especially our online conversations. 
and carry to the online environment the type of interactions we would want to have face to face and be that change that we wish to see in the world like uh like gandhi said we can be that change and we can have an influence and we can show people a better way by leading out ourselves but i look forward to sharing some more things with you here on the next episode of the one climbs podcast i wish you the best and we'll talk to you next time